Thanks for listening to our show. We don't know how it's gonna go, but it's something that you haven't ever seen before. We're two special brothers with rhythm and blessings and love and knowledge and power. Test. Testing my patience. Um... So, introduction. Introduction to Rhythm and Blessings. Well, I guess first we have to define everything that we believe in. So, what do you feel like the definition of rhythm is? Uh, rhythm is, is a continuous pace of vibration, you know? And the the blessings piece is the the gifts we've been given by God to spread love on this earth and grow in our personal journey. Yeah, yeah, I like that definition. All right. Now, when I think of rhythm, I think of rhythm as a very long historic experience that human beings have been able to be a part of um, on earth. I have a lot of, I use rhythm as a tool. I use rhythm as a tool for myself to feel more centered in this world. I've gotten to this point where I kind of find rhythm in everything. Sometimes I'll just sit by a pool and watch like the tiniest little ripple go through the water. All right. Because it brings me back to rhythm. And just like you're saying, I think when you tune into the communication that comes with the rhythm that's here in this world, it makes it easy to feel your blessings flowing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because rhythm comes with being in tune with yourself and the world around you. And uh, that is essential to find peace and what we would recognize as happiness. So good. I agree with you. And I thank God for the opportunity to have another conversation like this and uh, document our journey. I thank God for that opportunity as well. So let me ask you, why do you feel like the entire world, the possible viewership that's out there, should listen to what you have to say about rhythm? Um, You and I young black men with uh, college degrees that have grown up in Arizona in a area where, you know, there's a lot of people different from us and different from each other in a, a interesting environment. You know, Arizona is pretty unique. I would say the Phoenix area and um, we've left this area and found our way back after college and, uh, continue to build upon our friendship that we've had for Hmm. uh, 15 years. 15 years. I would say. And um, we've both grown in similar ways, I think, uh, along these years, even with a chunk in between where we were in different places doing our own thing for a while. So uh, we've, we've both developed our perspectives and interacted with a lot of different people in different industries with different expertises. And, um, we've both learned a lot in different realms as well, outside of what we were doing early in our friendship. So Mm. it's been, uh, beneficial for both of us to be able to share experiences and have these type of conversations and um, continue to develop our consciousness and uh, our intelligence. Mm. Yeah, True. And that's what it's all about. I feel the same way. I kind of take the approach of knowing what it's like to be out of rhythm, knowing what it's like to not feel synced in to what's going on. Mm-hmm. I feel like I faced a lot of adversity in my time and trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to get back into feeling like my life has some type of rhythm and I can 
acknowledge and recognize my blessings. And going through that, I feel like it gives me the optimism and the energy to want to sit with people and talk about how they manifest that in their lives and how they have possibly had to go through adversity to maintain it. Right. Yes, definitely. Um, How do you feel that development has benefited you in what you're doing right now? Mm. I think it's benefited me in what I'm doing right now because early on, I feel like I would always prepare for a moment when I had to perform and the thoughts of what spectators would think would get to me. Mm-hmm. I would often wonder about if somebody's going to think I'm whack mm-hmm. if I don't make the right move. Mm-hmm. And through going through years and years of having to perform and having to mentally prepare, what I learned is that there is a place that I can tap into that as long as I stay in the moment, I will do my best from there. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a mind game from that point on right. because I've always been good at putting in the repetition and practice. Mm-hmm. What I had to do was teach myself to trust my practice and repetition. Oh, yeah, of course. That was my obstacle. Yeah, as with anything that you want to be proficient in. So explain to our audience what it is that you do, the where you uh, put that into practice. Yeah, so one thing I do is my official title is a lead behavior technician, mm-hmm. which means that I work with staff that is in classrooms that help teachers work day to day with students that have emotional disabilities and learning disabilities. So these are students that will get very upset easily, uh, become physically aggressive, become a danger to the environment that they're in and themselves. Mm -hmm. And they usually have staff that work with them that are trained to problem solve or understand emotions and figure out de-escalation and coping strategies. Mm So they work day-to-day in the classroom. I work outside of the classroom and come up with plans with them and their teachers and their parents and their school psychologists. Mm -hmm. So pretty much what my day-to-day looks like is that I'm having meetings with these different people to develop these plans, and I'm helping their staff that's in the classroom run the plan. Right. Pretty much. Also, as a hobby... And a side job. I'm a basketball official. Mm-hmm. So I've used my work, my toil, to continue trying to stay in the moment and develop myself and read these coincidences and daily blessings and follow it like a route to my right. self-actualization. Yeah. That's pretty cool that you get to use the same skills in two different areas in two very different ways and continue to develop upon them in that way Mm -hmm. i think that's beneficial similar to what i do um registered nurse i work in a multidisciplinary icu um we specialize in transplants and uh neurological disorders so um brain surgeries essentially and uh, we don't do any traumas at my hospital, but we do a lot of post-surgical care and um, uh, multi-organ failure, kidney failure, liver failure, heart failure, and do transplants and uh, stabilization of critical care patients. So um, I usually work in a either one-to-one or one-to-two nurse-to-patient ratio setting. And, um, you know... For example, I, a few days ago, had to manage, what, nine IV pumps, uh, two ventricular drains coming out of someone's brain, uh, a ventilator that was uh, supplying them oxygen and uh, helping their lungs function, and um, also having to control the systems of their body, essentially. So my brain is very... Uh, critical in my thinking, I believe, and um, my assessment skills of situations and people, I would say, are a lot higher than the average person. And um, I've used that knowledge and development from nursing 
to translate into what I do as my hobby or second job is personal training and mentorship. And, um, you know, it, it is beneficial definitely to be able to develop upon skills that you have in different areas and um, be able to change the perspective of what you're doing and really maximize upon those things. And um, it's a, it's a little breakaway release for me to do my hobby pastime job um, because, you know, nursing is pretty intense. I work in an intensive care unit, so it's intense. It's a it's uh, emotionally and physically taxing, so it's good for me to be able to mix it up and also have that skill set be in an area that's not so serious, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, for today, I think that in regards to what we both do and uh, what we both prioritize, we can discuss discuss education a mm. bit. Um particularly different types of education, levels of education. Okay. Um, We can pick points in our educational journey that we think are significant. Hmm. And um, then afterwards talk about different types of intelligence. Okay. That's a great, great idea. So where are we going to start with that? Um, Let's start with the definition of education, shall we? Education is the process of facilitating learning Hmm. or the acquisition of knowledge, skills, values, beliefs, and habits. So uh, education happens in many different ways. It can happen in passive forms, uh, intentional forms, a standardized structured form. There's formal education, right? Informal education. Um, Educational methods include storytelling, discussion, teaching, training, and directed research. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you and I often have to do in our professions. You know, we basically tell stories of some of our anecdotal experiences in our jobs to um, help plan on how we're going to accomplish similar situations or uh, goals in the future. Yeah. And, um, we have a lot of discussion with different levels of people in our jobs. You with children and teachers and parents, uh, me with different healthcare professionals, patients and families. Um, you also with athletes, mm-hmm. me with athletes as well. Yep. Um, and then also the training and research that goes behind the jobs that we do, because I know this man over here reads a whole lot about a whole lot of stuff. And uh, especially in particularly regards to his jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then me, of course, I'm required for my jobs to continue to do education and research as well, to stay up to date with technology and um, treatment methods. Yeah. So what do you have a favorite, I guess, educational period that you've experienced in your life? Yeah. And first of all, I love that definition of education. I love how it ends with habits as well, because I do believe that that is our key to manifesting that higher self that we're all looking for is to be able to build that habit towards doing what it is that you want to do. But the period of my life that really sparked me to have an educational thirst to try to learn more was when I was in college because I was taking philosophy classes. My minor was in philosophy. Mm -hmm. So I was able to kind of break up my day of all this more intensive work to just go learn about these philosophers Mm -hmm. and hear a professor who's almost mastered this field talk about it and combat the ideas that I had in this subject. So I just fell in love with, you know, sending my professor emails and trying to ask if I could meet at certain times to ask questions because what they were teaching me was opening up my mind so much. But I also noticed that it had a time period on it and the origins of a lot of what they were talking about would go back to Greek philosophers. Mm -hmm. Now I'm reading all these different things, talking about these ancient civilizations and these psychologists and philosophers that come before uh, Greece, these library of Alexandria and all these great people that are in these different areas. And I have questions. Towards yeah. for my for my professor, I'm like, hold on, we're learning about Plato, but 
who taught the person who taught Plato? And yeah. where are we going to try to really follow this trend of monotheism? Where does it begin? Which which people? And so that is the time in my life, I think, that really turned me on to just trying to learn as much as I can. Mm. And then once I was done and, you know, finished my minor in philosophy, the world just kind of opened up to me because, like you're saying, there's a lot of different ways that we learn. Some of it is passive. I believe that my thirst for philosophy started when I started listening to hip hop at four years old mm. because those are some of the most dope philosophers I've heard of. Yeah. Tupac uh -huh. and, you know, J. Cole Kendrick. These people are top class philosophers and they're using rhythm to put their message into your field. To educate. To educate. Yeah. Right. And that's another big part of my how I consume education music documentaries and like you're saying books literature i know that certain things work with me better and some things i remember more but yeah. i try to use all mediums yeah just yeah. to make sure yeah and that's a great thing to do most people do have a certain form of learning that's best for them mm -hmm. you know uh one of the assessments that we have to do in the hospital because we educate people so much is um how they prefer to learn so uh whether just through explanation through um hands-on you know instruction them having to demonstrate things or through just having them view a video a video uh we have a lot of different methods of education for our patients in um even for us as professionals, we go through hands-on classes, online classes. Um, we have to take written tests um, for continuing education credits. So um, for so long, my education was so focused on nursing. So in, in college, it was demanding that I had to study so much in healthcare. And then even afterwards and starting my job, there was so much to learn and becoming a young nurse. And um, I would say just recently, within the past couple of years, I've really uh, found the opportunity to um, start learning things that I'm more specifically interested in outside of my job. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's been really valuable to me in uh, rekindling that passion for learning that um, I know I had when I was growing up, you know, and I still had it always, but it was just so focused for a long time that I didn't take the time to educate myself in some other areas such as uh, finances and, um, you know, psychology and other things that aren't so focused on um, bodily function and critical care. Um, we went to school together in mm -hmm. middle school and high school. So uh, a large portion of at least our formal education has been very similar. And um, Arizona doesn't necessarily get a good rap for its public education, but I think, in my opinion, that we had a relatively good educational experience yeah. uh, in Arizona in the public school system. Mm -hmm. So do you think that... Ooh, that's loud. <laughs> do you think that sometimes the experience of a child going through an educational system can really rely on them i think sometimes it can rely on them for the most part though i think that it's variables outside of their control yeah um up to a certain age mm -hmm. i think that you know we all kind of understand how funding works in the american school system how depending on the property taxes in the area, the school, the public schools that are in that area are going to get funding that matches that. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people in America who are in poor areas, they don't receive the same education as suburban public schools. Mm -hmm. And if that is working against you as a kindergartner and your elementary school has a 60% dropout rate by the time these kids get to high school. Mm -hmm. Those are some variables that are outside of your control yeah. that are going to make it kind of difficult. And since we do put such a emphasis on education to be our tool for mobility, class mobility, self-actualization, mm -hmm. confidence and self-esteem and identity, all these things that we know it to be great for, yeah. 
it gets kind of interesting when you start talking about these variables that some people can't control towards mm-hmm. their education. Yeah. And do you think that some of those differences may be intentional? Yes. I definitely think that they stem back uh, throughout history and show that there are um, systems set up mm-hmm. to have certain people, you know, not maximize their potential. Yeah. The inherent philosophy of America is beautiful freedom of speech every person has this uh value within them that we're all going to recognize but it hasn't always played out that way when we look at the functions and system of the society but i am trying to develop an internal locus of control as much as possible so i think that's why it's great we do this because what tools can we give somebody who's been at a disadvantage to Mm -hmm. catch up to speed and excel develop that self-esteem confidence yeah and feeling like they can. One of my favorite philosophers, KRS-One, who is a hip-hop historian, a philosopher, an American philosopher, he has a quote that says, you don't see with your eyes, you see with your brain. And the more words your brain has, the more you can see. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the key things that I operate from the more that you know how to say, the more that you know how to articulate, the yeah. more you will see happening. Yeah, 100%. Because um, one problem that people have is that they're not able to articulate the things that they feel and they experience. Mm-hmm. And our experiences are very important. That's a part of the learning process. Yeah. And um, being able to relate to other people's experiences, learn from other people's mistakes, um and you know not make the mis- same mistakes over and over again is very important in personal growth so um you know those are things that we again have had some experiences together in developing that level of understanding of the world you know made some mistakes together right mm-hmm. um had some successes together and um it is important to be able to reflect upon your experiences, not only with yourself, but it's also beneficial to be able to reflect with someone else and hear yeah. another perspective um, on some similar experiences and uh, be able to have someone that you not only agree with, but can also disagree with, but still continue to have a constructive conversation about things because that's also something that a lot of people lack uh having the opportunity to the opportunity to do and um that's a crucial uh, i guess building block of the learning process as well in my opinion 100 percent, man iron sharpens iron and i think that in academia they make this clear because they have the peer review process but sometimes it's just normal people outside of academia. If we want to develop our knowledge, we also need a peer review process. But sometimes we just beef with our peers. So we never really get to that point where we can present our ideas uh, without the fear of actually getting into a heated argument. Yeah. You know, and as yeah. two young men out here in America, I think that we're doing a great job of being able to remain clinical in yeah. our perspectives. Yeah. Um, there's high competition in everything. And uh, some people don't realize that you do need some people on your team. Uh, The lone wolf thing doesn't really work too well. And uh, it could be lonely at the top, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -mm. And the journey to the top is a lot easier if you don't do it by yourself. So um, that's something that I think is very important. Well, let me ask you, though, because I'm wondering the same question. What time period in your life do you feel like really put you on to wanting to learn this deeper knowledge? And, you know, the type of science that you've had to study for, I'm sure, long hours is not easy. Uh, it's not easy material. It's not easy material to grasp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess after I became a nurse, because I started, um, you know, being able to see into other people's lives and not only see diseases that they're dealing with, but being able to hear the stories behind either what caused their disease or at least what their lifestyle was like up until they got their diagnosis and also how they're dealing with it now and their plans moving forward. Um, I've seen people 
across all different stages of life. I've I've assisted in delivering a baby. I've uh, laid 90-year-olds to rest. I've laid 20-something-year-olds to rest. And um, a lot of that was very difficult for me at first, but it, it taught me very valuable lessons about life and also sparked my interest in just understanding life as a whole and understanding people and being able to relate to people and uh, gain the trust of people, um, especially mm. in what I do. My job's a lot easier. People trust me. So wow. I like to know how people think and why they think the way they do uh, based off their experiences and uh, try to be as relatable as I can with them and be as honest as I can with them and uh, help them in their healing process more than just the physical realm, but uh, also spiritually and emotionally, because that, those are things that definitely get damaged when people go through uh, what they go through in the ICU, whether it's a family member or the person themselves, the the healing process is not easy. So um, I take a lot of pride in being able to assist people in doing that. And um, I know that the more that I can understand people and uh, understand the world that I'm living in and also that they're living in and our different realities and how they come together and uh, the, the purpose behind us having those moments together, then mm. um, I can really make the most of the experience that we're sharing and hopefully make it easier for them to bounce back and get as normal of a life as they can again after they've gone through that. Mm. Yeah. Totally understand that. That is kind of the story of the healer archetype mm. and, and the teacher archetype. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And those are two archetypes that really excite me as well. Mm -hmm. um, everybody like John legend says, want to be loved. Mm -hmm. And there's something in me that, just really hurts whenever I see somebody who, whether it's through their ego or through something genuine, just wants to feel some type of attention or love, and they've developed a maladaptive mal behavior to receive that love. Yeah. That always hurts me because it's like, you know, what you truly want is very tender and vulnerable, but the behaviors that you're presenting are off-putting and harsh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you're searching for something that's actually soft. Yeah. And... You know, I, I love the process that I get to see humans go through to come to a more unified and holistic way to be with themselves and grow. But I also like looking at our downfalls because there's so much information in them, in our failures. I'm one of those guys that sits and watches other people do what I'm about to do, see how they mess up and right. write it in my notes. Yeah, that's, that's always been me. And I think that that's also a big part of why I've been able to be successful mm -hmm. is because I milked those failures. So yeah. let me ask you this. A lot of people who try to guide, mentor, or give information to help others grow reach a level of burnout. You know, I've worked with a lot of teachers and one thing that's consistent amongst them all is that burnout is almost inevitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this seems like a medium to me to try to combat burnout by being more individualistic with your approach and what you're going to send out. But for you, have you felt any type of burnout even, you know, in your short career so far? And how yeah. have you dealt with that? Yeah, um, I blame a lot of the burnout to the pandemic, of course. You know, I've been a nurse for four years. Three of those years have been after the pandemic started. So that's 75 percent of my career which is uh, also 75% of my career I've spent in the intensive care unit. So a couple of those years were really difficult and um, there was just burnout on many different levels. So um, I think through that experience, of course, I'm seeing things that nobody else is seeing and so many people couldn't even begin to understand the, the gravity of the situation and um, there was just no way of being able to portray how awful it was and what was going on. So, um, you know, people, of course, were asking me, but 
anytime I would tell somebody something, there was like a 50-50 chance that they would believe what I was telling them. And then so I got to the mm. point where I didn't really want to educate people because I was, um, you know, kind of resentful, uh, feeling like nobody was listening to me anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was just like such a such a individualized experience between me and the other people that work in hospitals and healthcare and uh, emergency medicine. And um, so it, it was definitely hard for me, especially, you know, the visitors weren't allowed in the hospital. So I, I got used to talking to people on the phone a lot and explaining things to them, not face to face. And then a lot of my patients were intubated and uh, unconscious. So um, I would be isolated in a room with my patient who wasn't able to interact with me. And um, I'm gowned up, the doors closed, like because you have a negative pressure room. So the the interaction you had with other people was just grossly diminished and it just changed the whole dynamic of our jobs and um you know it i've tried my hardest to transition back into normalcy with how we interact with each other and stuff but mm -hmm. you can just see how difficult it is for some people and um how the the attitude around healthcare and within the healthcare system has been so tarnished by that global pandemic mm -hmm. and that uh it was a catastrophe what it was. And um, even to this day, a lot of people can't realize the the magnitude of what it was that we all went through. Yeah. You know, that was something that I had to tell myself too. As terrible as it is, what I'm having to see, what I'm going through, the patient is who's really going through it. Right. Mm, sure. And um, their families are who are really going through it. And uh, so many people, even after having known someone that went through it they're still in this i don't know if it's denial or what but still not being able to um empathize with the people who had the experience at first hand um and it's something that you know like i said to this day there's just so much disagreement on but i saw it with my eyes and i had to experience mm -hmm. it and i continue to experience it we still get people that uh, get pretty sick with COVID, but it's not nearly how it was. And I pray to God it's never like that again. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting over it to an extent as much as I can. And uh, this past year, I've been working night shift. So even on night shift, there's a lot less like human interaction. So I'm going to day shift next month. And um, I'm looking forward to being able to get back to that normalcy a little bit like i said yeah. you know being able to interact with the high volume of people and have those face-to-face -face conversations because um i do feel like that's somewhere where i learn a whole bunch from being able to have those conversations with um different doctors physical therapists respiratory therapists family members the chaplain occupational therapists, pharmacists, uh, lab technicians, like those are all, all the people that I get to interact with um, on a daily basis, working a day shift in the hospital as a nurse, uh, in addition to my patient and their families too. So mm. um, I think that that's a valuable experience to be able to have. Um, some people that work night shift like the, you know, the less interaction, being able to focus on the patient, which I think is beneficial in its own way too. But um, I... I thrive in the daytime when the sun's out. Sure. That's your rhythm. I work on a normal circadian rhythm. So it's been difficult it for is. me to try to uh, combat that mm -hmm. and try to function at a high level in the middle of the night. I don't really know how people do that long term, but I'm grateful that I've only had to do it for about a year. <laughs> yeah. I think that you just touched on a good point to overall what we're trying to say. Rhythm can be different for every single person. But the idea is that you have to be able to find your rhythm. You're saying that now you're able to talk with these other staff members at the hospital and where you work. And that adds a little bit more to your rhythm, which oh, yeah. might make it a little bit easier to start seeing your blessings. Oh, yeah. This um, idea and concept works with every single thing you could be doing. That's beautiful. One thing I was thinking as you were saying it uh, in the middle of the pandemic, R.I.P. Young Dolph, by the way, mm. one of my favorite artists. He put out a song called Sunshine. And in that song, he said, uh, God, please watch over the nurses and doctors on the front line. 
I can't wait till these clouds gone and we get sunshine. Mm. And I just want to say that because all the people who are healthcare workers during that time still kind of going on, you know, might not feel like the world is praying for them, might not feel that people are appreciative of what they're doing, but they're there for the real crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And people show that in a lot of different ways, like their music. There's a lot of uh, pretty good songs that are made uh, to spread awareness about what was going on and stuff. And uh, those those are pretty cool to see. Um, you know, people interpret that in different ways. Um, some would say that you're trying to exploit the situation. Mm. Um, but I do believe that it is, again, another form of education. You know, a lot of people learn a lot through music. They have sure. uh, musical experiences. You hear songs at significant points in your life that uh, later on in life, you hear that song again. Like, for instance, at my wedding, you know, we had the playlist where you know we walk out to Tedao by Masego so mm. when I hear that of course I think of that Beautiful. and uh conversations in the dark that's our that's our song on our um wedding video and those are just examples of how strong music can be and the the words behind the music the feeling of the songs and that's why I try to listen to positive music and like high vibrational music yeah. you know um I remember in high school, a lot of the girls that I knew would listen to sad songs about getting dumped and, uh, you know, just depressing music. And I would ask them why they listen to that. And they would just say that they like it. But then at mm. the same time, they'd be talking about how they're depressed all the time. Mm. And then whenever I would suggest that maybe if they change the music they listen to, that just yeah. sounded crazy at the time. But so much of what we learn comes from what the music, the music that we listen to, because, um, Music is a universal language. There's, sure. there's numbers and there's music that is like translatable across the entire world. So um, for people to not really acknowledge music for being the form of communication and having the power that it has is silly in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm very intentional with the music that I listen to. I listen to certain music in the morning, certain music at night, uh, certain music when I'm driving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... And music can be a powerful tool in your your uh, educational process and your day-to-day uh, activities. For sure. I think that that is our responsibility, being a conscious creator of our life, to put the rhythm around us that we want. Mm. And it can be that easy. It's kind of weird when you start to really simplify what it means for you to be a creator and a participant in your experience. You can really just put the rhythm around you that yeah. you want to be Manifest. at manifest we're like a tuning fork bro sometimes i just feel like my soul is a tuning fork and i'm supposed to get it to the frequency that has me in the right rhythm Mm -hmm. so then i can observe and recognize my blessings so one time i remember you had a really interesting conversation on your social media which you often do a lot of people i'm sure that even listen to this have been tapped into some of your conversations that you sparked just from a story Mm -hmm. and you were talking to people about what it means to be an empath Mm-hmm. you remember that yeah it was a while a ago times. yeah and that really sparked my attention because i'm like man yeah what do the people really feel like an empath is so i have just the you know oxford definition of empath pulled up right here and it says mm-hmm. a person with the paranormal ability to apprehend the mental or emotional state of another individual mm-hmm. yeah and so that's something that you know i've battled with because of the paranormal piece of that and does mm. it sound like it's voodoo or something or um not even possible but um that is definitely something that now as 26 years old i do recognize as me being is an empath and having that ability and it was difficult for me to cope with during the pandemic i think that's when i really realized that i was an empath and mm. uh you know going through those painful experiences with people and feeling that pain that they're feeling. And um, it was it was pretty difficult. So now I'm able to really process those emotions a lot better and understand that um, it's a blessing to be able to understand what people are feeling. And yeah. um, it, it benefits me and my relationships and um, also makes my job a lot easier 
And um, I, I, I think that I more often feel the joy that people feel than the the pain mm. and, that, and that's because regardless of the situation the the objective is love you know i i try to show love to my patients to my my coworkers, and of course my family uh and it's a, there's levels of love it's on the spectrum right mm. i love you i love my parents um yeah I, the people that i interact with on daily is just like you you reciprocate the emotions and then everything is just a lot better you know and yeah. I, I work with a lot of people that are able to to you know fraternize and be friendly with each other which i think is very very important because i've worked in similar settings where that is not the vibration that's going through the facility mm -hmm. and that is not the 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 camaraderie that you would see uh, where I currently work. So yeah. I'm very appreciative of that. And, um, you know, when when you go into situations with uh, optimism and confidence and love in, in your intentions, then the outcome is always uh, 100% better, you know, regardless of what really takes place. Because... Um, you you have a a clear conscience of your your actions and what you did, and then also you're able to cope a lot better and um, understand the big picture. You know, seeing people lose their lives, it's uh, you don't often get to process it the way that you really should. So, um, you know, showing people love prior to them losing their life showing people love going in the situation trying to resuscitate someone you know that teamwork uh we have very strong teams because we go through crazy situations together mm -hmm. you know? um and in that that foundation of having love and what you do and and how you prepare yourself and uh and how you treat people yeah is um essential to have a a high functioning healthcare facility like the one that I work at. There it is. Right back to rhythm, right back to us being able to create the rhythm that we need so then we can recognize those blessings. That was beautiful, man. I love you too. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that it is so necessary. Um, for myself, like you, it was difficult for me because I feel like an empath. It was difficult for me to understand that paranormal side of it. I would find myself being around certain energy and just feeling depleted at the end of the day and not recognizing that I need to develop some skills to, quote unquote, guard my energy, protect yeah. my light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because as I was growing up, my grandma was telling me these stories in the Bible mm -hmm. that were trying to prime me to be able to do that. Right. She's talking to me about Cain and Abel. She's talking about what's going to happen if another human being recognizes that you might be making the correct sacrifices and praying to God and it's working for you and what that envy could look like when it manifests in another human being. Mm -hmm. A lot of these stories are archetypal hero journeys if you are looking to self-actualize. In my mind, every single human being should have the goal to self-actualize. Yeah, um, There are obstacles in our way, some on purpose and some that you could even have created yourself. But at the end of the day, if you're not trying to self-actualize in my mind, what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. uh, just going through the motion on autopilot, not really understanding the, the power that you have. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that to unlock your potential and whatever your aspirations may be, you do have to at least make an effort towards self-actualization. But so many people are, afraid of what's going on in their head they mm. want to ignore their thoughts and uh not address their emotions and not have difficult conversations with people and yeah. um that that's just uh you know self-sabotage instead of uh self-actualization or self-love yeah um you know I, I pulled up the the webster definition of love and it's interesting to me that um one of the noun definitions, of course, it could be a noun or a verb. One of the noun definitions, number two, a great interest and pleasure in something. So hmm. you can have a great interest in anything, you know, 
and people appreciate when you show interest in them or what they're doing. And um, if you have great interest in what you do, then you love what you do. And yeah. having that love in your actions and your interactions with people is extremely powerful. But there's a large population of people that are afraid of the word love and don't realize that, again, love is on a spectrum. And if you're afraid of love, how can you really progress? How mm. can you really connect? Sure. How can you really excel? If having a great interest in something is love itself, mm. you know, you have to be interested in what you're doing and, and who you're interacting with um, to, for anything meaningful to come of it. So very true. Um, I would really like to change the narrative on what love is and uh, how people feel about using the word. Yes, yeah. I agree. It's very interesting because I love that definition. And there is a R&B artist named Cleo Soul. Mm. She has a song where she says, um, sometimes we fall in love, but love is always in us. I love that bar because it is true. You possess that energy inherently. That's in the philosophy of America. That's why we treat life so special here in this land or we're supposed to as far as our base foundational beliefs are in our constitution mm -hmm. because we all have that inherent love in us but like what i've seen and what can break my heart sometimes is that people want to love but mm. they have never been shown unconditional love that yeah. true pure hey you could mess up a million times and I'll still love you. Most people have no idea what that feels like because their whole lives, people have been putting conditions on their love. Mm -hmm. Behave this way and mm -hmm. I'll love you. Get right. to this accolade and I'll love you. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's very important too because um, if that's the expectation, then you're never going to feel like you're enough and mm -hmm. everyone is enough. You know, We just have to uh, prove it to each other and show each other that the other person is enough and then you have to believe that you are enough. And, um, if that's the mindset that we're all operating on, then, uh, we can move a lot more cohesively. There's not so much tension between folks, but, um, yeah. uh, that, that's something that, you know, as a parent, I'm so appreciative and understanding because I, I hope to save my daughter a lot of stress and heartbreak because she'll understand what love is and how to show love mm -hmm. and not be fooled when somebody says that they love her but aren't showing her love. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there's people that show love but they're afraid to say it and there's people that say they love and never show it and show it in a, in a hateful way, honestly. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. there, there's a, a lot of ways you can show love and you, you have to know the person that you're interacting with on a way to know how it's appropriate to show them love and be able to translate your love in different types of settings and relationships so that again it can be appropriate yeah you know this made me think of something because i often have a conversation with students because they'll talk to me and they'll be like mr davis you keep trying to make it seem like I'm inherently worth this great value and mm -hmm. I don't feel it. Mm -hmm. How I feel like you're just trying to gas me up, just trying to get me to try harder when it's inevitable that this is all going to be sad. Yeah. And I'll point them to the institutions that they know exist. I'll ask them, hey, let's Google together how much in Arizona does a private prison make per inmate. Mm -hmm. So they sit down with me. I look it up right here. It says $150 a day. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the prison industry gross $74 billion a year mm -hmm. because whether you know it or not, there is a price tag on yourself. The prison will take it. You know, these schools, if you get kicked out into a different population, these special education programs will take it. Yeah. All these programs will take your value. And if you're never going to take it back, they'll keep it until you die. Yeah. And they'll keep being rewarded from the fact that you have not consciously took over your decision making and you have not tried to begin this journey of being accountable. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have to tread lightly when you're dealing with systems because mm. systems have agenda. Yeah. And um, systems can be used as tools, but systems can also be detrimental 
to our development and uh, how we operate. You mm. know, there's the educational system, there's the healthcare system, there's the there's um. <laughs> That's all good. That's a beautiful cry from Myla, who's in this other room, being three months old and oh, developing. Oh, Lord, yeah. Finding her Pops voice. is in here describing love in 2022, man. It's yeah, beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, but, you know, we, whatever journey you're going through, there's going to be external factors that are trying to knock you off the path. And that, mm. that happens almost intentionally within some systems. Come on. Um, and so, you know, working within the healthcare system, I do try to help people avoid uh, becoming a victim of that system. And it's difficult for yep. my position because I am in critical care. So people um, sometimes you would think are too far gone, but I think there's a lot of education that can go into place. I've seen people battle from very dark depths and um, it, it just takes the the love initially and then the drive and perseverance from that individual. Man. And, uh, you know, being able to help people along those struggles and then, um, you know, have the the observer basically role that I have along with the, the assistant role. Um, it, it is very beneficial for me and how I operate in my own life. Mm -hmm. And I, I take a lot of pride in what I do because of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, it's back to education, how you choose to educate yourself. I choose to educate myself through conversation and observing as often as I can. 100%. Because like you said, you can learn from other people's mistakes and um, really accelerate your process of growth by not wasting time making those same mistakes. Man, there it is. Very true. It's funny because, you know, the old cliche everybody will point to, they'll talk about how um, at the Temple of Apollo uh, in what was called Delphi or Delphi, they had the famous words written in Greek up top that said, man, know thyself. Mm -hmm. And that is almost like the jump off of Western philosophy, philosophy in general. That's the jump off statement. What are you going to do to know yourself? Mm -hmm. um, are you asking me? No, because I okay. think that you've kind of answered it through a lot okay, of okay, a okay. lot of your questions. Yeah, yeah. It's just something for everyone to ponder on. Like, what can you do? In my mind, education is the tool to unfold you and your ancestors. Mm -hmm. You know, when you start to learn about the genetics, uh, the science behind genetics, the psychology behind genetics, how temperament can be passed down and personality traits can be passed down mm -hmm. and trauma can be passed down yeah. and all these things that people come to deal with when they start a therapeutic process, um, you can become more aware of these on your own mm -hmm. without needing to pay for a therapist or something. You can learn about what yeah. your ancestors were doing. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes the mental fortitude and the effort. Um, it's, beneficial and easier to have the guidance of a professional a lot of people do sure need that mm -hmm. um but i do think there's a lot of value in uh going along that journey on your own too because again at the end of the day if you do go to a professional there is a little bit of somebody else's opinion going into it trying to guide you along that journey and i do think if you're able to bring it within yourself to you know uh put in the effort to walk that that uh that path that portion of the path on your own and really be able to reflect and you know uh look back on your experiences and build upon them and uh cope properly and um just be confident in how you operate um that in my opinion is a little bit a little, I, I say more pure in yeah. that journey um, because, you, again, it's good to talk to a therapist if you need to, but I know some of the things that I went through, if somebody else really tried to help me understand that, but they weren't going through it with me sure. in reference to, you know, the hospital events with the pandemic and stuff, I just still at that time had like anger in me almost of mm. trying to explain it to people and um you know luckily i was able to cope in the way that i did and um i developed um even better coping skills throughout that experience but it was tough 
at the the forefront of it all, of course. But I know a lot of people that came out of those same experiences with me that are now on antidepressant medications or have some type of issue um, or diagnosis. And um, I'm I'm blessed that I didn't come out with that level of trauma because mm-hmm. I was able to develop the coping skills of my own. And, th- you know, there's nothing wrong with taking antidepressant medication or anti-anxiety medications, but just me and my personal belief. Um, I like to avoid medications as much as I can. And yeah. when medication is necessary, I think that it's good to have a goal of how to get off of the medication for sure, and not become dependent of the medication for the rest of your life. I agree. Um, and that's, that's going to be beneficial to an individual on a lot of different levels. But um, I know a lot of people, individuals who are on medication and I yeah. know a lot of healthcare professionals who prescribe medications who don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Um, and that's something that is difficult for me in Western medication uh, or Western medicine, how reliant we are on medication rather than lifestyle changes and um, behavior changes. Yeah. So um, that's something that I um, use to kind of fuel me in my endeavors as far as uh, being a personal trainer and a mentor, being able to implement those ideals a little more directly that are sometimes not as conducive to the Western medicine that I have to follow in the hospital setting. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a great point to make for listeners and viewers to know that while we're doing our research on different things that can help us heal and help us grow, we're taking that approach from more of a holistic stance, from more of a natural stance, because we both work with people who are on these antidepressant, psychotropic drugs, things that are um, basically creating blocks and in the messages, right? In the synapses and their neurochemistry and everyone, a lot of people want to get off of it. Mm-hmm. So we like to give natural approaches, lifestyle changes, yeah. rhythm, right? In my mind, rhythm can be used like any other type of medicine. Yeah. Obviously we keep coming back to it developing rhythm in your life can make it easier to start acknowledging and recognizing your blessings. Yes. Yep. 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 And that is exactly what we're trying to promote through these discussions that we're having. 100%. So I hope that whoever decides to listen to this, uh, can connect with some of what we said Mm -hmm. and, um, Feel free to share your thoughts and comments and and, and and nurses out there, people who went through the hospitals during these traumatic moments in COVID. I'm wondering, like, what did you guys do to cope? Mm-hmm. Was it to the antidepressant? Did you need frequent visits to a therapist? Did mm-hmm. you use some type of lifestyle change? Right. Because I'm sure there's plenty of people in this boat where they were just hit with this PTSD from being in this battlefield and... You may have been left to your own facilities to try to figure out how to deal with it. And I'm wondering how you did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a lot of different solutions to those situations that I heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, on that note, I'll never forget one of our doctors. Bless his heart. He's a great doctor. But, you know, in the thick of it, he told us at the end of one day, you know, you guys need to go home and take care of yourselves however you need to, even if you need to, you know, go to sleep with a bottle. Like you said, mm. drink your alcohol, do whatever you need to. Like, you got to get through this. I'm like, uh. yeah. I, I get what you're saying, but to me, that was like the last thing I needed to hear. And uh, I think that that mindset was so detrimental. So I tried now to uh, go about my job in a way to where I can promote health with the people around me. And then, uh, you know, we can be prepared to cope with a situation like that if, uh, God forbid, it ever do arise again. And um, that that mindset is what's going to carry us through a, a lot of these experiences, you know. Man, true. Uh, fighting fighting against what the, the collective may think, even though we're a part of the collective, we lead the collective. 100%. And that's what we're trying to do, develop more leaders. You, you said you mentor young athletes. I'm sure you want those athletes to develop their leadership skills as best right. as they can. That's what our mm-hmm. sports should be doing for us. Yeah. And and how that's done is through teaching them to, um, 
you know, make decisions not based off what other people think of them or what other people are doing, but, you know, doing their sport and doing what is necessary to do, uh, doing what's necessary to become great in their sport mm-hmm. and, um, you know, having love within the the steps that they're taking and trusting the process. You know, there's a, there's a lot of sayings that you can think of through, uh, the sports world, you know, uh, loving the grind, trust the process, you know, uh, sticking to the script. It, it's all just having a love for what you're doing and um, spreading that love across the the people you're interacting with as well. Because I've seen kids that have bad relationships with their teammates, and that's a lot of stress that none of those kids need to be dealing with, and it's not going to help them excel in what they're doing. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately, some kids don't don't feel the love from their families and that's always a stressor that's not going to allow them to excel in their sport as well so a lot of the things that they're developing within their sport are intended to help them in the other realms of their life and that often gets overlooked especially i think nowadays because of social media and everyone wants to be flashy and Mm. and uh put on this persona that they're this cool guy where you know the the humble athlete is kind of dying out a little bit because the you're always in the spotlight. So sometimes it's good to uh, help those kids realize that um, you know uh, a lot of time you spend so much time in the spotlight that darkness feels a lot darker. You know, yeah. And you got to know what it's like in those dark times because it's not a linear growth and mm-hmm. it's not a linear journey. So you're going to have ups and downs and you need to know how to handle those downs. If you don't want to stay down there, you want to come back up. Yep. So um, building that, the mental fortitude and uh, the perseverance within these kids and um, teaching them how to, to prioritize education, not even on how to um, perform in their sport, but, also just in school and uh, what they're going to be doing with the rest of their lives outside of uh, whatever sport they're playing is uh, pretty important to me. Yeah. Same. Very important. I talk about it a lot with young athletes. You know, your body will go pretty quick. Your knees are going to start to hurt your lower back. You're going to have joint problems and, you know, being physically in the best shape is a young man's game. But education that you give yourself and the things that you learn and the experiences that you gain through being an athlete is what's gonna really make you you Mm -hmm. yeah but on that note there are also things that you can do to try to avoid those aches and pains coming up so quick or being so intense true you you gotta follow all the steps you know i've seen a lot of kids have the resources and the guidance but they don't want to follow all the steps mm. and literally given a book on how to make it to the league, but they don't want to stretch. They don't want to go to bed on time. They don't want to eat right. Yeah. You know, and those are things that are essential to really uh, perform at the highest level. And there's a big difference between the, the kids that choose to listen to the people that are giving them this guidance. Uh, you know, oftentimes they're even looking for the answers, but it's so hard for us as humans to, to follow the steps or, um, put into practice the information that we have. Yeah. You know, I've seen, especially like in the personal training industry, some people spend a whole lot of money on personal training and never see results. And it's because they don't listen. Yeah. But they'll still spend the money and make the excuses. But, you know, you tell them that they got to eat vegetables once a day and they still can't even do that. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's not blaming anybody, but that's just no. using as an example of how we can have the answers to things to to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And it's not always that easy. Sometimes you follow the steps and you don't get what you expected out of it. But if you don't follow the steps, then you're never going to know if that's the reason behind it. Right? 100%. You're <laughs> not going to so know. that's so often the situation at hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, that's good stuff. That's very true. And that's what this is all about. You know what I mean? Developing leaders, developing habits to stay in the game as long as you can. Developing the ability to be resilient through these challenges. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like a lot of people, they start to learn more about the society that they're in. And they can develop a very radical philosophy as kind of a response to what they've started to learn is happening around them yeah it's very easy to do and it's easy to get really upset i've been in that mode before where i'm just studying like revolutionary ideas and Mm -hmm. uh, radical ideas and things that just make me feel like i'm gonna go the complete opposite direction of what anyone's tried to tell me because i'm questioning everything 
Right. Well, you want to be aware, mm. you know, and uh, sometimes it's hard to separate the awareness from anger because, um, yeah, it, the truth hurts. It often does, mm. but um, you know, you use that awareness to build upon your perspective and your education and know how you're gonna let certain things not uh, diminish your abilities and your character and um still still practice as if you don't know that information but use it to your advantage that you know it rather than letting it put you in a negative mental space and uh letting it cloud your judgment mm. or uh change who you are as a person 100 percent, mm. and that's very easy very easy i like what you said the difference between awareness and anger Mm -hmm. very easy to get into that angry state and i've done it before man mm -hmm. like i've definitely got into where i was like man i was i was lied to about this i wasn't educated properly i'm miseducation of rust yeah <laughs> and i felt like you know i'm someone's supposed to owe me an explanation yeah and i'm like wait hold on i was made to come into new fields and question Mm -hmm. I was made to come here and analyze mm -hmm. and say what resonates with my soul out here. That kind of changed my whole perspective on feeling like a victim. I think that probably next meeting we may talk about perspective. Perspective. That's a big one. But you can understand our core beliefs, creating rhythm to recognize your blessings one of my another one of my favorite quotes in history is from Huey Newton. He said this in a book called Revolutionary Suicide. He said that power is the ability to define and control phenomena. Now that's one of my favorite quotes because how are we going to define the phenomena? That's what takes the education base. You need to be able to say what you're seeing mm -hmm. without fear. Yeah. Then you might start to control it, and now you have power. Yeah. But until we start to time. define, until we start, until we start to define these waves of energy, until we start to define what is in front of us, we cannot have power over it. Thanks for listening to our show. We don't know how it's gonna go, but it's something that you haven't ever seen before. We're too special, bruh. Others with rhythm and blessings and love and knowledge and power.